0: See
1: Filters, hey, I want to tell you a little bit about vision meetings that we've had two vision meetings already and we have two more coming up and the dates are there on the screen there. Here's the deal. Without the Bible says without vision, people perish. And I like to say, without people, vision perishes. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you, if you have not been involved in one of our vision meetings, I want you to either show up in the cafe here or take the Zoom link, which we will be sending out, and jump in. And here's what we're trying to discover. We're trying to discover how you would want to live this vision out. We believe the best ideas come from those of you who are gathered in community, who gather with us online or in person every week. And so what we want to do is hear from you. You might say, James, I wish that Salem Fields would live out the vision this way in our community. We want to hear that from you because I believe the best vision comes from ground roots and kind of makes its way up. And so we're listening. We want to hear from you and we want to know how we can be, how you suggest we might be For Spotsy. Thanks for being here and jump into one of those meetings. You'll should be receiving a text from it about those meetings coming through your phone soon. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being engaged in vision and thank you for what you're going to share with us in the days to come. Thank you.
2: Good morning and welcome to Sangle Fields. My name is Chris and I'm excited that you're with us today. Uh, Over the next hour or so uh, we're going to experience God in a new way and I'm just glad that you're on the journey with us this morning. Uh, If you're a guest with us, we hope you find this to be a comfortable place, a relaxing place, and we hope that it's just an opportunity for you to to experience something new today. And uh, again, we're excited you're with us. And whether you're a first-time guest or someone who's been with us 10 times or 20 times, uh, we'd really like to connect with you if we could, just so we can hopefully meet any needs you may have. And one quick, easy way to do that is simply text SF Connect to 94000 and that's a way for you to uh, give us some, just three pieces of information, your name, your phone number, and an email. We promise we won't bombard you with a lot of things, uh, but it's also a way for you to stay in touch with us and ask any question you may have or get any information you may need. So again, SF Connect at 94,000, and that'll take you to our digital connection card. Uh, also, over the years, many of you have given generously uh, to all that Salem Fields has done in Spotsylvania County. and. Uh, we have a new way for you to give that makes it efficient and easy, and that's simply by texting SFGIVE to 94000. Once you connect to our online giving platform, uh, just a couple easy steps, and then from that point on, it'll be even fewer steps for you to make that a a quick and easy process for you. In a way, again, just keep giving so that we can continue to do things for Spotsylvania County because we want to be a church that's for Spotsylvania County and we want to share God's love with everyone in the county and you have been been great partners as we've done it throughout the years so thanks for all you have done and what you're going to do in the future but again thank you for being with us this morning and we're excited that you're with us and uh, remember god is madly in love with you have a great morning
0: all right let's stand to our feet we're going to continue to worship this morning this song is really a prayer of unity and community we believe it's our theme song for this series that we're in real relationships so would you pray this song out with us as we just invite God to make us one.
3: One with the Father, one with the Spirit, one with the Son of God. One with our sister, one with our brother, one family by the blood. He make us one. He makes us one. You will be done. He makes us one. one heart with heaven one mind connected one body unified bind us together now and forever jesus be glorified
0: father that you would just make us one lord that we would be unified but god that we would just as one body be your hands and feet just continue to lead us as we step out in faith father as we seek your heart for your creation lord it's for the sake of the gospel
3: for the glory of your name i will lay down my life I give you everything For the sake of your gospel For the glory of your name I will go into the world, God Say love is on its way And say love is on its way I'll go anywhere I'll do anything, God, just put me where you want, just put me where you want, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything, God, just put me where you want, just put me where you want, my life will be the world run. I can't sit back and watch, when you gave everything, your love drove you to the cross. So I will live to bring you glory, yes I will be your hands and feet, I will go into the world, God, say love is on its way. We'll say love is on its way
0: Out in faith to be your hands and feet, to be light bearers to this world. His name is Jesus,
3: Jesus, only Jesus, yes, love is on its way, Jesus, only Jesus, yes, Jesus, See
0: to the world, not in our own strength and in our own might, but in the name of the Lord. Because there's power in the name that's Jesus. And so when we go and we declare his truth and we declare his gospel, we don't declare something that is a good idea. We declare truth of all that he is. It says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. See, we serve a risen Savior. We serve a Savior that went to the cross not because of anything that we earned, not because we deserved it, but he took our place because what we deserved was the cross. And he took our punishment He bore our sins, and through his shed blood, we are now purified in him. And when he rose again, three days later, he rose in victory, conquering the grave and giving us life. And so now, we as a people, we as a church family, are unified by that truth, are unified in the name of Jesus. And I don't know about you guys, but that makes me want to sing. That makes me want to go into the ends of the earth, into the darkest places, declaring the truth of the Lord. That makes me want to press into the heart of my Father. So can we just continue to praise Him this morning? Can we lift our voices and say, God, I love you. Can we do that together? Father, thank you for what you've done on the cross. We worship you.
4: I hear the Savior say, that strength indeed is love. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find me in thine all and all. Jesus paid it all. Oh. So my lips shall still repeat, Jesus, baby. to crimson's day, he washed it white as snow. He washed it white as snow. He washed it white as snow.
0: we serve a risen Savior. We thank you that you took our place. God, we do not count ourselves worthy. Father, but we behold the only one that is. And Jesus, we seek your heart above all else. We seek to glorify you above all else. And I just pray that our lives would just be vessels, God, to just carry the good news of what you have done throughout all the ends of the year. And I pray, Father, that each and every moment that you lead us closer to your heart, each and every moment that you just transform us into becoming more and more like you, Father. I just pray that we would be open to the process, we would be open to your voice, Father, and that our lives would not be lived out of selfish ambition or, or our own self-made desires father but that we would live lives surrendered and yielded to your holy spirit for that is where true life is found jesus we thank you we thank you for your word i just pray that you would anoint pastor james as he delivers it father god and i'm excited to see you continue to move not just here this morning but in every moment of every day as we as your people open our hearts and our lives to you, Jesus. We love you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: hey, do you have any real relationships in your life? Do you have any real relationships, relationships that are centered in God and kind of reach out to others and have the ability to change your life and the world around you? We've been talking about real relationships and this idea of mentoring and investing and pouring yourself into someone else and also making sure that someone pours themselves into you. So let me ask you a question. I'll ask it to you at the beginning of every message, at the end of every message in this series, who's investing in you and who are you investing in? Let let, let me ask you this question. Have you begun to think through? Who might invest in you? Have you begun to pray and say, Lord, would you send someone who can invest in me? Someone who's who's f- further on the journey spiritually than I am. Someone who has my best interest in mind. Someone who's invested and loves you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, would you send that to me? And then, Lord, would you help me to look into and to pray about who you might use me to invest in. We started the series by talking about the way that Jesus invests in his disciples, the way he mentored them and poured into them and taught him everything and then told them to go and do what he had done. And then last week we talked about how this mentoring and this investment kind of flows And how Jephro kind of, how he mentored Moses. And then Moses began to mentor Joshua and how everything changed because of those real relationships. Do you have any real relationships in your life? Well, I want to talk this morning about Esther and cousin or uncle. I like to call him uncle, but he's a cousin, cousin Mordecai. And maybe you know the story. There's a whole book that's been written in the Old Testament about Esther because of this story of mentoring and investment and pouring in to, uh, by a cousin to a niece. And so I'm, I'm going to try to give you the Twitter version of the story because it's a long story. But I, I believe it's so important that you understand the story. It's important that you get an over arching sense of the story. So fasten your seatbelts and let me walk you through the story really quickly. In chapters 1 we drop in on this huge party. The king was having a huge party and back in the day they would have parties. They would have real parties. You have never seen the kind of parties they would have back in the day. Back in the day these parties would last for days and days and days. And the king had had one that lasted for days and days and days, and the the wine was pouring, and all the entertainment you could want, and and after all the entertainment had been done, he wanted to impress his boys, he wanted to impress his, his group of people that had gathered there, and so he asked Vashti, the queen, to come out and dance for him, entertain the fellas, and the queen said, not tonight, ain't gonna happen tonight. And so she embarrassed the king and he went to his advisor and say, what should I do? She's embarrassed me. She made me look bad in front of my boys. And they say, get rid of her. And so they begin a search. That's how quick it happened. They begin a search to replace Vashti. And so they they assemble this group of virgins and, and they get them together. And one is named Esther. If you look at verse 7 of chapter 2, you'll find that Esther's beauty won her favor in the eyes of the folks who were judging. So we're moving right along. Esther is chosen to be queen. And in verse 18, the king throws an extravagant banquet because she's chosen as king, who says dreams don't come true. Now, at this point in chapter two is a very important, very important person enters the story, Mordecai, who is the cousin of Esther, And he's hanging out at the gates of the city when he overhears this plot to assassinate the king. And because of his quick thinking and his quick acting, the plot is foiled. And then we have another person enter into the scene. One is kind of the antagonist and one is the protagonist, but Haman, who's a high a high-ranking official in the king's court. He is so highly regarded that the king makes everyone bow down to him when Haman comes into their presence. Now, everyone does this, but Mordecai, Cousin Mordecai is not the kind of person that, does, that bows. I remember a song that was going on when I was, when I was uh, in college, I'm Not Gonna Bow to No Idols. So Mordecai does not bow, and this makes Haman angry. He is enraged. He's so enraged that that he convinces the king that the Jewish people are a threat to national security and that they should all be eliminated on the same day. Later on in chapter four, Esther finds out about this plot because Mordecai hears about the plot. She learns everything that has been decreed. And Mordecai urges Esther to go to the king and plead for the Jewish nation. Of course, she knows that you just don't walk into the king's presence. In fact, if you walked into the king's presence without him beckoning you there, your head could be disconnected from your body. And so it wasn't just her going in there. She couldn't just walk in there and say whatever she wanted so Esther begins to, to share with Mordecai, Mordecai, you don't get this, man. I could die if I go before the king. And Mordecai basically says to Esther, Esther, today could be your day. And so after praying and fasting, she comes up with a plan to get into the king's presence. And we come to chapter 5. First, she calls King the king and Haman this this person that is the king's right hand person she calls him to a meeting and the king gives her a meeting and it's there that she says to the king I I want you to do one more meeting and the king agrees to it now between the two meetings between the two banquets two important things occur First, Haman bumps into Mordecai and of course Mordecai does not bow and it ruins Haman's day. Haman's so mad that Mordecai does not bow to him that Haman goes home and he tells his family members and they suggest that Haman build a gallows and hang Mordecai on the gallows. And Haman could just see it. He could see old cousin Morty hanging from the galleys. Then the second important thing that occurs is the king can't sleep one night. And during his sleeplessness, he remembers that there was an assassination plot that was plotted against him. And he, he wakes up his servants and he brings them in and he says, has anything ever been done for the person who thwarted this assassination plot? And his servants say no. And so he says, is anybody hanging out in the court? And they say Haman is there. And so he brings Haman in and he says to Haman, Haman, what should be done for, for a person that the king loves, the person that the king is, is, is uh, respectful of, a person that the king just really likes? And Haman, thinking the king must be talking about him. He says, king, this is what you should do. You should get one of your robes and you should put it on him. And and you you should get a horse and you should put him on one of your horses. And you should have one of your trusted servants just parade him through the city and announce to everyone, this is what the king does for the person that he likes. And the king says to him, Haman, go find Mordecai and do that for him. And of course, Haman is, Haman is totally upset about this. He is, he, he's totally upset. So he does it. He gets the horse, he gets the rope, and he parades Mordecai and says, this is what the king does for someone that he favors. And he runs home and he tells his family, and they said, man, you're doomed. It's almost over for you. <laughs> I, I, I love the story. So the king and Haman go to this second dinner. And there she is, Queen Esther. And at the second dinner while they're there drinking, the king asked queen, what would you have me do for you? I'll give you half of the kingdom. Just ask and it's yours. And the Esther says, king, if you find favor with me, uh, would you grant me this request that me and my people can live? She says, if, if, if it was only a, about us being in slavery, I wouldn't bother you. But this is about us being wiped out. So the king gets really mad. Who's trying to wipe you out? What are you talking about? Who's trying to do this? That's a detestable thing. It's monstrous. And she says, your right hand guy, Haman. And the king explodes in so much anger, he has to walk out of the place. And you can, you can imagine by now, Haman is trying to save his life. And so he, he's groveling at the queen's feet when the king comes back in and sees him and thinks he's making a pass at her. And he gets so angry. And one of his servants says, hey, Haman has built a gallows right next to his house to hang Mordecai. And the king says, go and hang Haman on the gallows that he built. Now that, that, it's, it's, it's just an interesting story. And the next day, the king gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman. And then Mordecai came before the king because Esther explained the relationship. This is going to make sense later. And the king took off his signet ring, the same signet ring that Haman had had and gave it to Mordecai. And Mordecai became his right hand person. That's just a Twitter version of the story. You can go and read it. Go read Esther. When you get it, when you're done today, go read Esther and you can get the whole story the thing that I learned from the story is that real relationship investment changes a person's life. If a person, if you really begin to invest in a person and do a real relationship, it changes the person's life. Esther's story is similar to Lot. She was born in captivity to Jewish parents. We don't know what happened to her parents, but we do know that her cousin Mordecai steps in to invest in her very, the very way that Abraham invested in Lot. The Bible does not give us any indication of their ages, but it seems like that Mordecai was a lot older than Esther. So he becomes more like an uncle figure than a cousin figure. And here's what he does. He just steps in and he invests in her. And because he invests in her, it impacts not only her future, but the future of the whole nation. Mordecai had no idea when he stepped up to invest in this cousin of his who had no parents that one day she would be chosen king. He didn't know that the enemy of the Jewish people would try to wipe them off the face of the earth. He didn't know that he would be honored by the king, but he just did what you do. When you see someone that needs to be invested in, he just invested in Esther. He just, he just did what he knew was right. He reached out to a person who needed to be invested in and invested in her. And this is why we invest in other people. We don't do it because of what we can get out of it. We do it because it's the right thing to do, and hopefully it's, it's what has happened to us. I told you that I, I pay forward. I pay forward what has been in, invested in me. One of my causes is foster care and, and Christian adoption. It's, a cause, it's, it's the cause of my life because I had two sets of Christian foster parents who invested in me at a long age, and because of that, today I'm a Christian there are many people in my family, my immediate families that are Christian, except for my twin sister and I. And it was because some Christian foster parents invested in us. And they decided to have children by heart and by love, if, even if they couldn't have children biologically. And they invested in us. And what I've tried to do is pay that investment forward. I speak around the country, and then talking to foster parents, talking to kids once they get ready to age out of the foster care system, saying to them, saying to them that you can do this. Talk to churches about saying, you know, if every, if every church in the state of Virginia had one person adopted in that state, the, the waiting list for children who are waiting to be adopted would be erased in the state of Virginia Mordecai just saw a need. Mordecai just saw someone that needed to be invested in and decided to invest in her. Let me ask you a question. Who are you investing in? As I talk to our next generation leaders, Carrie and Tone, we have students and children who need to be invested in. Who are you investing in? Mordecai didn't know any of this stuff, but he just did the right thing. Are you investing in someone in such a way that it impacts their life for eternity? Enos Copeland Reeves and May Reeves, Molly Allen and John Allen invested in my life in such a way that it changed my life for eternity. I remember going to their house and they were older and uh, they were in their 80s now. And I remember John saying to me one day, I, I kept in touch with them, my family's met them, and John saying to me, has has, has has my life made a difference? And and I just looked at him with this, this incredulous look on my face. What do you mean, have your life made a difference? You've taken in over a hundred foster kids, and you love them, and you've invested in them and you've taken them to church. Of course, your life has made a difference. And then I began to sit down and tell him about the investment that he had made in my life and how God had used that investment and, and, and all the things I had done in pastoring and all the places I have spoken all over the world and begin to say, of course your life has made a difference. When you invest in other people with a real relationship, a God-centered, other kind of directed, tra- transformational relationship, it changes people's lives forever. The second thing I've learned in this story is that real relationship investment is about listening, is about listening to the person investing in you. There's so many situations in this story where Esther just listens to Mordecai when she's a little girl, and then when she becomes a grown woman, she just listens. The Bible says in Esther 2, 10, 11, Esther didn't say anything about her family and racial background because Mordecai had told her not to. Every day, Mordecai strode beside the court of the harem to find out how Esther was and get the news of what she was doing. Esther listened. And Mordecai kept on investing her even after she became queen. His investment did not stop. He kept on looking after her. A good investor will will always respect the person investing in them by listening and following their godly advice. Esther probably didn't understand why Mordecai said, don't tell anybody your background. She didn't understand it, but she listened anyway. And in this, in the sign of a good investee, in, 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 investee is a person who will listen even when they don't understand it because they just figure that person has, has more history than they do. That person has more experience than they do. And they just listen. And a good investor will keep on investing, will keep on showing up, will keep on speaking into the other person because a, a good investor that's investing in someone else looks out for the well-being of the person they're investing in do you have a mentor do you have a person investing in your life the way Mordecai did Esther are you listening and following the instructions that your mentor gives you even if you don't all understand what's happening we see this again and again in the scripture where there's someone investing in someone Jesus did it all the time with his disciples he would say something to them and they wouldn't understand it. And he would say, follow it, do it. What if Esther would have blurted out her background in that situation? She might have never become queen and she might have never been able to save her whole, her whole group of people. She listened And they became a great team. An investor, investing in someone and that person listening and continuing to invest in them. Here's the third thing that the story kind of reveals. Real relationship investment leads to serving others. How do you know if you're doing a good job investing in someone? How can you tell that Mordecai was doing a great job investing in Esther the right way, I believe, it seemed through the fact that Esther wanted to serve others no matter what was going on in her life. Because she was queen, she would have been exempted from the extermination. She would have gotten through the extermination A-OK. She could have thought about herself, but she was thinking about her people. She was thinking about other people and how she might serve them in the position that she was in. She not used her position to serve herself alone. She used the good that God had given her to to be a blessing of the people all around her, specifically her nation. Do you serve the people around you? Do you invest in and serve people around you? Do the people you invest there and go on and serve other people? This is not a new concept. When someone asked Jesus one day, what was the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God. You can find in Luke 10, 27, that you love the Lord your God with all your passion, your prayer, your muscle, your intelligence, and that you love your neighbor as yourself. When you love God, you serve him. And when you love God, you serve others. And if you can't serve others, you probably don't love God. Because Jesus said, go do for others what I have done for you. Some of you know what it means to invest in people. Some of you have been invested in, and you're investing in people, and you've seen the dividends of transformed lives because you invested in people. See, Esther, when Faith was saving her own life by sacrificing the lives of her people, she demonstrated that Mordecai had invested in her well. She chose to put her life on the line to serve her people and protect her nation. Serving is really a matter of choosing faith over fear. It's the heart of the matter. And in and the, and the, and the two stories here, we see these, these characters. Haman's way was fear. I mean, Haman was completely, he completely cut faith out of the equation of life. It was all about control and dysfunctional manipulation. And, and these two things are the enemy of faith. Haman's reaction to Mordecai reveals his true inward condition. If you're not going to bow, if you're not going to bow, you got to die. I mean, that was Haman's model. He had little regard for human life. He didn't care about human life and probably didn't care about God. If anyone threatened his security... He simply devised a way to get rid of him or her. Haman's way was the way of cement shoes. Haman's way was to make them a deal they couldn't refuse by giving them cement shoes. Haman threatened inward life surface in his outward anger towards people, primarily Mordecai. You know what? The fear of losing his position, the fear of losing what made him him in his own eyes, was so great that he was willing to wipe out a whole nation of people and not even care. See, when God isn't in the picture, when God's not in the picture, everything becomes about our manipulation. Everything becomes about our dysfunctional way of dealing with life. When God is not in the picture and faith is not in the picture, we just got to handle things our way. And depending on what our way is, sometimes our way is about gossiping about people and cutting them off at the knees. Sometimes our way is about saying one thing in one place and something else in another place. Sometimes our way is about taking advantage of people. Sometimes our way is about using people and then cutting them off when we can't use them anymore. When God and faith is not in the equation, we will resort to our own human dysfunctions and we will use people to get our way. And that's exactly what Haman did. When we approach life this way, we end up twisting true serving into plotting and scheming because Haman was void of true faith. The only thing left for him to do was to scheme his way into something of his own design Yet we see where that led him. It led him to his own gallows, his own death. And you know, fear will do that to you. It will lead you down a path of insecurity, of scheming, of plotting and anger. Fear will keep you from serving others. Here's a great, here's a great problem with the church today, capital C, is we're letting fear drive us. We're letting fear drive us. We say we believe in God. We say we're people of faith, but fear drives us. All of the arguments, all of the debates, all of the social media are, are crying out. All of that is is all about fear. Fear that I'm gonna that the world is not going to be the way it was when I grew up. Fear that somehow, that somehow, some something is going to co-opt my way of life. Fear of losing my possessions, my money. Fear of losing my station in life. Fear, all based on fear. When we serve a God who is large and in charge, a God who says, "I got this." We serve. A, if we really believe that God is in charge then we don't have to run our way fearing stuff. You know what happens in, in nations where they go through trials and tribulation? Christianity grows like wildfire. You want to see nations where Christianity is growing like wildfire? It's in places where they're going through persecution when, when the majority of the nation does not believe like they believe. But yet we fear and we fight and we scream and we holler because of fear. Oh, I long for a church. I, I long for a people who will decide that fear is not going to be the way I do things. I'm going to do it by faith. I believe that God is large and in charge. And, and, and as Esther would say, if I die, I die. I long for a church that will decide that fear is not going to be their motto. I long for a church that will not manipulate things in such a way that they get their way. I long for a people of God who decide that fear is going to be their, their drive, that their faith, excuse me, is going to be their driving, their driving agenda. A church that believes that God is who he says he is And that he will work all things out for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose, all things, the good, the bad, and the ugly. God is working it together and working it together and working it out for those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. Fear will not work. Fear will keep you from serving others and fear will keep you from serving God. You know, I, I said to, I was speaking at a, uh, a Faith Rx event yesterday after doing some CrossFit, and, and I talked about this fear thing. And, and, and how fear keeps us from knowing God and serving Him whole, wholeheartedly. Fear is about an unsurrendered life. And I talked about what I, I, I call Christian atheists. People who say they believe in God, but don't live like they believe in God. Fear is about living like you don't believe in God. The God who's sovereign, the God who's in charge. Every time I, I listen to Christians in our culture, and, and, and I look on social media and see the arguments and the debates and different things like that, I keep on saying, where's faith? Where's faith? Esther is the way of faith. Unlike Haman, Esther's way is grounded in faith that places God at the center of life. Therefore, instead of controlling the world, Esther can just serve it because she sees her life as a gift from God in which she can participate in his dream. How do I know this is Esther's view of the world? I know because how she responds to Mordecai. It's interesting, isn't it, that both Esther and Mordecai, Esther and Haman, when they're around Mordecai, whatever is in them comes out. And, and when, when Haman was around Mordecai, his anger, his controlling, his manipulation, his fear came out. But when Esther was around Mordecai, her faith rose to the, her faith rose to the occasion. Because Mordecai says to Esther, this is your time. And Esther prays and she fasts and she decides that the first life that's going to be put on the line is hers. Because she goes before the king. He has not summoned her. He could have taken her head off. She decides that she's willing to die because she has faith. When real faith is on display, it has a way of bringing out what's inside us. Look at what Esther said in chapter 416. If I die, I die. Unlike Haman, the control freak, Esther is willing to lay down, to place her life, her plans, her agenda on Mount Moriah. You see, surrender doesn't mean that your part of the plan is over. It means that your part can finally begin because when you let go, you let God Esther's ability to live faith came from her willingness to surrender her plan for God's plan for her life. So it's a really a heart matter. And whenever Mordecai would show up on the scene, this man of God, this investor in people, what was in them came out. Let me give you three P's of real relationship investment. Esther 413-14 4, says this. These are Mordecai's words to Esther. Don't think that just because you live in the king's house, you're the one Jew who will get out of this alive. If you persist in staying silent at a time like this, help and deliverance will arrive from the Jews from someplace else. But you and your family will be wiped out. Who knows? Maybe you were made queen for such a time as this. We don't invest in other people because we're the only people that can invest in them. God can raise up someone to invest in someone else. But who knows, maybe God just raised you up to invest in people. When Molly Allen and John Allen knew that they couldn't have kids, they just figured this was a time to invest in other people. And they just kept on investing in kids and kept on investing in kids and kept on investing in kids. And it made all the difference in the world. Let, let, me, let me give you three thoughts. You're here for a purpose. There are no mistakes. God has you here for a purpose. You might, be, you might be sitting in the seats or sitting at home and saying, James, I, I don't know what my purpose is. I feel like I'm I'm floundering. I, I don't know what's going on. Let me say to you, you have a purpose. You're here for a reason. God created you for a reason. You're not here by accident. God has something he wants to do through you and for you and with you that will change someone forever. You can make a difference in someone's life by pouring your life into theirs. You can be a part of God's plan. Mordecai and Esther were used by God. They were used to save their generation. God wants to use you. He wants you to be a part of his plan. But but in order for that to happen, you've got to move from fear to faith. And faith says, God, I will allow you. I will allow you to run the big picture plan of my life. Let me say something to you. My goal when I was growing up was not to be a pastor. My goal when I was growing up was to be a businessman. I was gonna be a businessman. And I, I had this deal with God. I, I'll be a businessman and I'll be successful and I'll tithe 20%. That was my deal. And the reason why it was my deal was because I knew God had called me to the pastorate, and I thought that maybe if I had tied to extra 10%, he would remove the call from the pastorate and he would let me be a business person. <laughs> But at some point in the journey, being a pastor was all about, I I had a fear of it. I was afraid. And at some point in the journey, I had to step out on faith and say, okay, God, if that's your plan, I'm willing to do it. And so many decades later, I see what God has done in that surrendered life of faith. You can be a part of God's plan Esther didn't know Esther didn't know and as she started listening to Mordecai that she was going to become queen she didn't know that she was going to have the ability to save her people from destruction she just had this faith quoting that worked in her life number three God has a place for you wherever you're on the journey you can be used it's not about a it's not about a certain time. It's not about a certain head knowledge. It's not about a, a, a certain uh, a gifting or whatever. God has a plan, and it's about a faith that follows. It's about a faith that follows. You might say, well, James, uh, I'm older now. So What? God's in the habit of using older people. God's in the habit of using retired people. God is in the habit of using children. God is in the habit of using teenagers. God's in the habit of using people who have made mistakes. You might say, James, I made too many mistakes and God can't use me. God's in the habit of using people who have blown it. Look at David. Well, I can go down the list of all the people who have blown it and God has still used them. There is nothing that you can do. That God can't forgive. There's nothing that you can do that will take you out of God's love. There's nothing that you can do. Except for, decide you're not going to have any faith. Because faith is necessary. At the end of my journey, I want to be Esther. At, at the end of my journey, I want to be Esther and Mordecai. I want to pour my life into people and, then, and, I, and so, so that their lives are transformed, so that they, they begin to serve. I, 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 want to, I want to be a person that God uses to change his generation, to change the people all around him. I want to be that kind of person, a person who loves and serves other people, a person who finds my purpose, my place, And I'm a part of God's plan. So let me ask you a question. What about you? You're not here by mistake. There's a person right now that God has that you can invest in in such a way that it changes their lives. And and you know how this works. It it never just stays with that person. When you invest in a person and, and it changes them for eternal purposes, it spreads out. Who knew when Molly and John Allen decided that they were going to invest in these two twin kids, even though they were in their 60s, that God would take those kids, he would use them in such a way, and one of those kids would go into ministry And one of those kids would be able to reinvest in people and minister to congregations and preach all over the place. Who knew? But here's here's what happens. You don't have to know. What you need to know is this. If you invest in someone in a real relationship, a God-centered relationship, a other-focused relationship, a relationship that's transformational, God's going to use you. God's going to use you. And it just won't stay with you. It'll be like a ripple effect. And people's lives will be changed for eternity. Now, John Allen is in heaven now. Molly Allen, they're both gone now. Only now have they been able to see how their investment has paid off. So once again, who's investing in you and who are you investing in? Who's investing in you and who are you investing in? Father, thank you so much that you invested in us in such a way that you sent your son who lived... uh, perfect life and died a sinner's death and got up on Sunday morning and sent his Holy Spirit so that we could be your people who live in faith. Thank you, Father, for the folks who have invested in me over the years, whose investment has paid dividends beyond their wildest dreams. Father, I just want us to be a people of faith, a people that believe that you are large and in charge, and a people who spend our lives being invested in and investing in other people. Father, I just believe that there might be someone here today who doesn't, who does not know about your investment in humanity, that does not understand, and that you sent your son Jesus to invest in us in such a way that we can have eternal life. And maybe they're going through not knowing what their purpose is, not knowing the plan, not knowing anything like that, and they might feel lost and out there on their own. They weren't created for that. They were created to be in a relationship with you and others. And so, Father, I pray that if someone's listening and your Holy Spirit is speaking to them, they might not even understand anything about the Holy Spirit, but they just feel this nudging in their heart to connect with you, to do relationship. I pray that you would, they would pray a prayer something like this. God, thank you for your investment through your son, Jesus. I receive, I receive what he's done on the cross and the empty grave for me. Forgive my rebellion, my sin, and come and make your home in me. Now I'm praying for folks who've been around the church for a long time. You might say, James, I've never been invested in. I would like to be invested in. Or you might be saying, James, people invested in me, but I've just been too afraid. I've been too afraid to invest in other people. Would you pray for me? We are praying for you. Father, would you give us the faith that allows us to step outside of our comfort zone and be invested in and invest in someone else? Father, help us not to just kind of listen to this stuff and let it go in one ear and out the other. Lives are at stake. Our own journey is at stake. You can can raise up investors, but you want to use us. So, Father, help us to be open and willing to being invested in. Thank you for all that you are doing in these days. Thank you for folks who are taking a step of faith and are moving toward investing in other people and being invested in. You're doing fresh and new things, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, folks, thank you for being here today. God bless you. Go
5: invest in someone else and be invested in. Love you guys.